Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with, with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever loves life, or whoever would love life and see good days, must keep their tongue uh, from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good, and they must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are, are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Heavenly yeah. Father, I just uh, thank you for this uh, gathering today, Lord, that uh, we can uh, gather and praise you and worship you, Lord. And Lord, I just open, uh, ask for open hearts and minds as we uh, listen to your message, Lord. Just be with Michael as he, uh, as he presents us with your message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is true that I want <laughs> my goal when I when I prepare and when I stand up here is that you will hear God's message, but you won't hear my message. You hear what God wants to say to you, what God wants for you in your heart, how God wants to transform your life through His Word. We've been going through First Peter. We've been learning about what it means to be a community on mission, right? Yes. 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 Alright, thank you. We've been learning what it means to be a community on mission. We've been learning um, who we are in Christ, what God has done in Christ to make us into a community, and then what God has called us to do, what that community is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to be, um, how we're supposed to live. We've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks looking at what it means to keep our conduct among unbelievers honorable. What it means to live life among people. And today we kind of, we kind of wrap up that section on what it means to be on mission for godly living. We've learned about um, just kind of, we saw it in general, um, how, how Peter wanted his readers to live godly lives, to live such a way that others would see that, and then they would be transformed by that. That they would say, there is something about the way they live. Even though we are speaking evil against these Christians, they continue to live good lives. They continue to love. They continue to show compassion for each other. They continue to reach out to us and, and do good deeds towards us. How dare they love us when we're trying to hate them? And he said that, Peter said that, in doing so, they're going to see your good works. They're going to see what you do. And they're going to end up giving glory to God. They're going to end up being changed by that. We saw how, how Peter was very concerned that we apply that principle of living an honorable life. So he said, here's a situation in which you need to live honorably in your deference or your submission to authorities, to government, to the human institutions, the emperor, the governors. 
that you, you submit to them and you live according to the rules that are set as an act of worship, as a witness, as, as a way in which you can live honorably. He said, those of you who are servants, you should be subject to your masters. You should show respect to them. You should honor them. You should be obedient to them. Submit to them. And he said that the primary example for that was Christ. Christ who suffered for you. Christ who suffered for you so that you would follow his example. So that you then would be transformed into the kind of person who's living and serving to the glory of God. And then last week, we dug into what does that look like in marriage? How does Peter see marriage as being a reflection then of what God has done in our lives? How is marriage not so much about what I can get out of it or how I can be pleased, but marriage is how can I submit in such a way in my marriage that others will see how good God is? That others will see a picture of God and His church, of Christ and His church. That others will see our good works and they will glorify God. Today, as, as you heard Kevin read, uh, he says, finally. And uh, no, he's not finishing his letter. No, we're not done with 1 Peter yet. But he's wrapping up this section on what it means to be on mission for godly living. So today's title really is Living the Good Life. There's a lot of folks who I, who I believe think they are living the good life. Right? Don't you, wouldn't you agree? Most of your neighbors, most of the neighbors, in fact, I'll just share, let me just share this little illustration um, to just kind of show you what I mean by this. Um, as I've gotten to know my neighbors, I've talked to them and kind of learned about them. And I, uh, for instance, the neighbors who live right across the street, um, talked to them a few weeks ago um, in, in more in detail. Kind of, we met back in January, but just hadn't had much chance to connect. And, um, and so I'm talking to them, asking them about their family and what they do. And um, he used to be in the military for a while. And now he's worked for the Postal Service. And just kind of asking a lot about stuff like that. And, and before we left and before I went back across the, the street and they went on to whatever they were doing, I said, well, you know, it's great to visit with you. It, it, you know, let, let us know if you need anything. Um, I just want to be a blessing in the neighborhood. And he kind of looked at me like, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. Why would I tell you that I need anything? In fact, you know, we're doing pretty good. We don't really need anything. We're living the good life. That's what he's saying. We're living the good life. We don't have any needs. Things are going really well with us. So how do we go about saying, well, here, in Jesus, you can live the good life. When people are already living the good life. What would, what would living the good life look like to people who already think things are, things are going really well? I don't know if I have all the answers. Let's see what Peter has some answers for us. Let's see if the Holy Spirit has some answers for, it, for us. Because I think that's a question we have to ask 
every single day. I think we have to ask that all the time. What would it mean for Jesus to be good news to other people? What would that look like to them? What would the good life in Christ really look like for people who are self-sufficient, have everything they need, have enough money to buy all the things that they want, at, you know, maybe, maybe they're always wanting, there's always a sense of, you know, you can get more and other things that you can't afford, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, the self-sufficiency of life, the people that we live around, and maybe even us ourselves live pretty self-sufficient lives. We pretty much got what we want, got what we need, and we're living the good life. How does Jesus fit into that? I think we need to ask that question all the time. So let's see what Peter has to say. First of all, he says that living the good life really means living the way of Jesus. Living the good life means living the way of Jesus. He says, finally, all of you, and then he gives this list. He says to have these things, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. He gives this list. These are characteristics that represent the way of Jesus. They represent, this is what it looks like. When Jesus comes into somebody's heart, he transforms them so that they look like this. Unity of mind is, is I'm really glad he started out with this one. Because it is so important for the community on mission to have unity of mind. That doesn't necessarily mean that we all have the same opinions, right? We don't. We have different opinions. We, all, we see things differently. Um, we have different approaches. We have different personalities. Um, we don't all have the same thoughts all the time. And I don't think that's what he's saying. What he's saying is he's concerned with us being united in our mission. The mission that God has given the church. We have to be, we have to have that kind of unity. Jesus himself said, said to God, he said, uh, and when he prayed in John 17, God, Father, may they be one as I and you are one, as we are one together, as I am in you and you are in me. May they be in us. May they have that unity. As we get, a, get about doing the mission of God that He has given us, being the community on mission that He has called us to be, we will have unity. That means that we're probably going to end up being concerned about each other along the way. That we're going to have a concern for, okay, well, how do you feel about this? What are your opinions? What, are your, what, what way are you thinking about this? Okay, how can, we, how can we bring all of our different ways of thinking and our different backgrounds and our different thoughts and how can we bring them in subjection to the mission of God? Together. How can we do that? Peter wants his readers and he wants us to have that kind of unity. Just this week we're, we were... And talking about well, how can we do a how can we do baptism, right? Talking about how can we do baptism, how can we do baptism? And there are a lot of different ways we can do it. And so you know everyone's got well we can do this we can do that. We're, so we're brainstorming all these things, and we're I'm realizing that there's a lot of diversity here. I mean there's a lot of ways we could do it. Quite frankly, 
maybe the ba- a, a baptismal in a church building, or a or a tub, or a, a lake, or a river, or uh, a pool. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways we could do this, right? But are, have we come to unity of mind about something like that? United so that we can see that beyond our different opinions is a mission. A mission that is go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all of Jesus' commands. We can do that. We can have a diversity of opinions and still be united together. Still have compassion and concern for one another. And that's what leads into the next one. Sympathy. Sympathy, which is sharing emotions together. That's what that is. When you have sympathy with somebody, you share their emotions. Most of the time we think of sympathy as, they're there, you know, you're having a bad day, I'm I'm there for you, you know, I've been there. That's true. But have you sympathized with somebody's rejoicing? Have you sympathized with somebody's success? Can you, can I, as a church planter pastor, hear the testimony of my fellow church planters or pastors in other places who are having great success in ministry and sympathize with them and rejoice with them and go, praise the Lord, that's awesome, more power to you. I'm excited about that. And not feel a tinge of, oh, I wish that was me. Jealousy. (laughs) Exactly. Jealousy. Didn't he address that previously? That's right, sympathy. He wants us to share those emotions together. But I wanted to I want you guys to see something about this that sharing those emotions doesn't happen unless we're sharing life together. It doesn't happen unless we're sharing life together. How do you know what people are struggling with? How do you know what people are rejoicing about in their own lives if you're not sharing life with them? If you don't know them? That's a challenge to all of us. That's a challenge to me and the rest of us. That's why we have missional communities. That's why we get together and we, we eat together. That's why we spend time together. That's why we should, we should read the Bible together. That's why we should get together in groups and pray together for each other. That's why we encourage you all to be in discipling relationships, in, in men meeting together in groups of two or three or more, women meeting together the same way and sharing with each other and doing life together and talking about your struggles and talking about your rejoicing <coughs> so we can sympathize together. Well, let me keep going back, going through here. There's a lot of them, so I don't want to get hung up on... One or two, but maybe unity of mind and sympathy is the most important thing we need to hear today. I don't know. Brotherly love. Love for fellow Christians. Love in the body. Tender heart. Having a tender heart. Literally, the heart here is the intestines. The, The word was the guts. Having a compassionate tender heart meant that you feel deeply in your guts for people. That you have that kind of compassion. 
And also, I think part of that is that tenderness and that goodness, really, um, that good heart, that tender heart, is means generosity as well. That you are compelled deep down inside to bless other people, to see needs and to, and to be compassionate for them and to try to be a blessing to them. And finally, he, in this particular list, he, he lists a humble mind. A humble mind. He starts with unity of mind, and then he ends this short little list with humble mind. He's saying, not thinking about getting your own way all the time, but having the humility to say, yes, I'll defer to you. That's what he's been saying this whole time. That's what we've been talking about for, for four weeks in a row. To be subject to somebody means to embrace humility. I don't know about you guys, but that's a real difficult thing for me to do. To embrace humility, to embrace not getting, having things my way. So I have to ask Jesus over and over and over again, give me a humble spirit. Give me a heart that is compassionate, a heart that is tender. Give me brotherly love. Give me sympathy for other people so that we can be united, so that I can just be a humble servant. This is what it means to live the way of Jesus. To live the way of Jesus is to have all of these character qualities just permeating our life. Notice that he says one other thing. I'm going to sneak into verse 9 here before we unpack the, the rest of the message. But in verse 9 he goes, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling. At first, in verse 8, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, no, he, this is, he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about how we relate to one another. And then all of a sudden in verse 9, he talks about repaying evil, repaying reviling. And, he, and that should, should bring back to mind everything he said up to this point about people who are outside of the faith, outside of the community, who are speaking against us, calling us evildoers, saying, I don't trust those Christians. I don't trust the church. I, we can't give to the church. We have to keep the church somewhere else, out of the public sphere, out of public life out of our buildings, whatever it might be. And he's saying, now he's, he's focusing and saying, this, this living the way of Jesus is not just to, about what we do in, in our community together and how we relate to one another, but it's, it, it is overflowing in how we relate to everybody else. And what does he say? Instead of repaying evil for evil, instead of reviling... He says, on the contrary, bless. Bless. How are you being a blessing to the people around you? How are you being a blessing to those folks who are making life difficult for you? Have you thought about that? Because non-retaliation, not repaying evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, is not just to remain silent. It's not just to say, oh, I'm not going to fight back. But it means to actively bless. It means to go out of your way to bless those people. To, to bless them with words 
and acts of kindness. In, in Peter's life, to bless, this blessing idea meant to seek the well-being of other people. I'm going to ask you this question. What would be the greatest well-being that a lost person can experience? What could be the greatest thing that you can offer to them in words or action? Peter's been talking this whole time about our relationship with unbelievers and what he wants to see more than anything else is he wants to see unbelievers saved. More than anything else, Peter is concerned that we actually fulfill the mission that we have. I'm going to suggest to you that if we want to truly bless people around us, that we will offer them the good news of Jesus. That's what we will do. We'll offer them the good news. He says, do this. This is what you were called. Peter says, for to this you were called. And then he says, in order that, so that, the result of which would be that you obtain a blessing. This obtaining a blessing is, is the eternal blessing that God provides. Living the good life, in other words, means receiving the eternal blessing of God. Peter goes on to quote Psalm 34, which we read, which we read again this morning. Whoever desires to love life, to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But what else? That final phrase, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We have to realize, friends, that the people around us who are not in Christ, they have God's face turned against them. That, that for, for, those, for those people who live around us, the good life, the, the abundant life, the, the inheritance, the salvation that is waiting for us is not waiting for those who are outside of Christ. It's not waiting for them. God's face, the psalm says, is against those who do evil. Let us turn away from that. Let us seek good. Let us desire to love life, to embrace the eternal life that God promises to those who are in Christ, who pro he, what He promises to the community on mission. So let us see good days. Let us see the glory that is, a, that is waiting for us, that is in store for the community who's on mission. To turn away from the former way of life, keep our tongues from evil and lips from deceit, um, to turn away from evil, to, 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 oh, to get rid of the old life, the old way of thinking. What Peter says earlier is the former way of life that you used to follow and to turn to the new way of life, the, way, the life that Jesus has given us to live, to, to really just fall on our faces and say, Jesus, do something in me that I cannot do on my own. Jesus, 
help me to live this new kind of life. I want to experience it. And then to realize that our, our, our experiencing of that life means to share it with other people. That's what it looks like. To keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against us, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If our mission is not to see more people worship, then I don't think we've, we've, we've captured and understood the gravity of the mission. There are people who are not worshiping God. There are people who are not worshiping the only way of salvation. And it's, it's our mission to let them know how great is our God. What would living the way of Jesus look like? Well, let me give you a few ideas. I think, first of all, um, living the way of Jesus, living this good life, it's going to look like being a disciple. Jesus made disciples. He called people to follow Him. He said, I come to give you abundant life. Right? John 10.10. I come to give you abundant life. That's what I'm here for. You follow me, and you will experience it, and ultimately receive it in eternity. Being a disciple. Following Jesus' example. Walking in the Spirit. The Spirit that empowers a believer and says, Do this. Obey. And says, Say this. Speak. And then we think, oh my, Man, living in the Spirit is really difficult. How do we do that? It's really simple. When Jesus says to obey, that's the Spirit saying obey. And then we walk according to that. When Jesus says to speak a, a word, we don't make an excuse for it. We just say it. No fear. We just say it. And we do it. And, then we, and that's living by the Spirit. We're committed. Uh, the way of Jesus would look like committing ourselves to prayer and Bible reading. Studying God's Word, being in the Word, knowing it, and being transformed by it. Folks, that's what Jesus did. Just even a cursory reading through the Gospels will reveal to us a Jesus who was committed to God's Word, committed to the Scripture that He knew and loved, that was committed to prayer, always in prayer with His Father, always being led by the Spirit. Jesus shared His life with others. Jesus made disciples. That's what we are to do. Living the way of Jesus looks like that. Making disciples. Sharing the life that Jesus offers with other people. I want you to take a moment. I don't know if you have something to write on. If, you're, if you have something to write on, maybe you want to write some stuff down. The main thing is I want you to take it home with you. What has God been speaking to you about this morning? I want to challenge you with two thoughts. If we're to live the good life, it's going to mean living the way of Jesus, having all of these things in mind, the unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind.
to be a blessing on others. What, what character quality, which one of those things is God burdening you with this morning? Which one of those things is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? Which one of those things does the Holy Spirit want to develop in your mind, in your life, in your heart? Unity of mind? <coughs> Sympathy? Does he want to develop brotherly love in your heart? Does he want to, to develop in you a tender heart? Does he want to develop in you a humble mind? Does he want you to be an active blessing in the life of people around you, mainly those outside the community of faith? And then let me ask you this question. Who are you sharing Jesus with? We prayed earlier. We prayed earlier and I asked you all to, to think in your minds and pray about an individual who you know, who's in your family or in your neighborhood or maybe a co-worker that needs Jesus. So, who are you sharing Jesus with? My prayer is that the person who God has burdened your heart with is the person you'll share with. Next week, I'm going to challenge us I, even in either, in either, excuse me, in even greater ways. I'm going to challenge us next week to think about three individuals that are in our lives that we have contact with on a at least a weekly basis, if not more. That we have contact with who we can pray for and seek to bless and to seek to share the good news with. Who are you sharing Jesus with? And finally, and, and very much related to that is, who are you making a disciple? Who are you discipling? Disciples make disciples. Jesus said, follow me. Here's my example. I'm making disciples. I'm making you. I'm helping all of you to learn how to follow me and to, to live lives honorable to God. And he expected his disciples to do that. What would have happened if the 12 disciples had decided to, we're, we're, we're good. We're good. We can just sit in this space in our, with our families and just enjoy God and enjoy all the blessings that He's given to us. What if they had stopped? What if they had said, well, when he, when he said, go therefore and make disciples, what he really meant was something a lot less than what they actually did. We wouldn't be here, folks. We would not be here. We would not be in Christ. Who are you making a disciple? Let's pray.